Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No! Oh man, he had it coming! I knew this was gonna happen! He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful! I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. That's right. You already said it, but I'll say it again. We're in the wonderful book of James, also known as? Yeah. yeah. Whoa, you guys are even Greeking out, man. Okay, I think we passed that test. That's right. Uh, let's go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 1. Let's read the first three verses. Let's get hooked on that again. And uh, let's take a look there at what he says. Hebrews, James, James, Peter. Ooh, that's a wonderful book, too. Uh, James chapter 1. First things first. Let's try to make it through the first paragraph, shall we? Uh, James chapter 1, and uh, let's take a look. Verse 1, James, he's a what? He's a servant of God, bond servant, doulos, we saw before, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There you go. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, okay? The early church getting out there is what he's talking about. Consider it what? Pure Pure joy, all joy, my brothers, whenever you what? Face. Face trials of how many kinds? Many kinds. Well, why? Did James get hit in the head? Was it a drive-by chariot wheel accident and he's just delirious for a couple hours until his brain case gets back in? Or does he know something maybe we forgot or we need to know? He says, no. He says, listen to this. Because you know, man, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, once again, just for expansion's sake, let's go ahead. Let's take a look. Uh, Let me read for you what the Greek says, starting with verse 2. Be constantly rejoicing. Do you catch that? Every single week I say that. It's not just considered joy. You know, because that kind of leaves you, if you will, a back door. It's like, well, okay, I got to sort of be joy. But for now, it doesn't say that. It says you need to be constantly rejoicing, okay? The, the Greek verb. Consider it a matter of, I love this, not just joy, unadulterated joy without any mixture of sorrow. Wow. Okay, whenever you fall into everything going your way, into the midst of variegated trials which surround you, knowing experientially that the approving of your faith, that faith having been put to the test for the purposes of being approved. Remember, that's the theme of this book, okay? Uh, he says, now, and having met the test uh, and has been approved, uh, this approving process, this acid test, produces a patience which bears up, does not lose heart or courage under trials. Now, is that a good thing or what? And that's what he's saying. He says, listen, if you're going to make it to that point as a Christian to literally be constantly rejoicing. I mean, to where, have you ever met that person that's just always smiling and maybe you're not having the best day and you kind of sort of, I guess we rationalize and say in love, I want to slap that smile off your face. And you know, (laughs) you know, I mean, we should be walking around as Christians if we take this serious, if we understand how this works by the power of the Holy Spirit, that frankly, every one of us in this room that we would, could share stories of just even this morning of how people were trying to slap the smile off her face because we're constantly rejoicing. Because listen, we're not just joyful when things are going great. We're, we continue that joy even when things are going wrong, okay? But really, God makes right out of the wrong. That's what gives us joy. And that's what he's saying. This book is an acid test, okay, to make sure that when the early church goes out, that uh, they are passing the test. Why? Because Satan is evil and he has an evil plan. That evil plan is when the church goes out, he wants to flood it with false 
a, a, a gospel and false Christians who are going to give out a false gospel and a false impression of Christ. So he starts going through the acid test, and he says, your acid test, the first one is going to be trials. Now here's your test. How do you know if you pass the first test of being a true born-again Christian? Do you have joy in the midst of your trials? Why? Because you're a Christian, a follower of Christ right? And Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. We're indwelt with the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. And the second thing, love, joy on the fruit of the spirit. That's, he gives you that supernatural ability to maintain that joy in the midst of the trial, okay? Which means, guess what? You're a Christian. Paul says what? In Romans 8, he says, listen, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you what? You don't belong to Christ, right? But if you got the spirit, guess what? He starts to produce his fruit in you, and one of those is joy. And we say, well, how, how are we going to do that? I mean, what's, how can we constantly, not just rejoice, how can we constantly rejoice? Okay, well, the first thing he says, we saw before, is we need to consider. You guys remember what that meant? Literally in the Greek, it means to think forward, right? Well, think forward. Think forward to what? He says, well, think forward to poikilos. <laughs> Anybody been poiking out this week? Okay, poikilos. Okay, and poikilos was just the various kinds of trials. And as we've learned that, listen, God uh, uh, told us that we're going to have poikilos. We're going to have various kinds of trials coming our way. You need to, though, look forward to he makes something good out of it. And he gives us one here, and that was the issue of perseverance, right? That was the first one. He says, listen, you need to look forward to the fact that God's going to do something awesome in this trial. And one of the things he mentions, uh, specifically in the text, again, is that perseverance. He is going to use this trial to make you into that strong, mighty, mature Christian. You're not lacking anything. And that's a good thing, right? And when you think that, when you look forward to that, and he says there, he says, you, you, you know this, and it's gnosko, and it means experientially. You know this thing with beyond a shadow of a doubt. I, there's nothing can sway me from the truth. I don't care how I feel. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care what it looks like. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm looking forward beyond the pain, beyond the trial, and I'm looking forward to the good thing that is coming. Wow. That keeps you constantly rejoicing, doesn't it? Now, that's where we saw, well, just like he says we're going to have variegated trials, poikilos, he's got very, I've learned, God's got various good reasons why he allows those trials. Okay, and the first one he mentions is perseverance, but we saw also to expose our sin nature, to keep us from becoming spiritually lazy, to cause us to be a blessing to other people, to teach us that God is God and we are not, to, to make us more like Jesus, to keep us from wasting our lives, to make us more humble. And believe it or not, uh, definitely fits in here, uh, the, the ninth one, is uh, uh, to make us more, believe it or not, joyful. Well, it sounds like our text, doesn't it? To make us more joyful, okay? And uh, I really think that sometimes God allows trials to get us back on track to the secret, if you will. Unfortunately, it seems like a secret because we've forgotten it. To how to have a truly blessed or joyful life. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, okay? So if you're a lumberjack, what do you do? Chop down trees and turn to Acts chapter 20. You'll get it, Bobby. Uh, yeah, uh, mixing it up today. You don't say, Mickey, you don't say. Acts chapter 20. And uh, we're going to read verse 35. And this is kind of a cool thing. And uh, this is uh, kind of tucked away. Uh, Paul uh, records for us, or the scripture records for us, Luke, uh, uh, Acts, uh, records for us some words from Jesus uh, that he apparently said. Okay? And this is what's really cool. And what he says there. Uh, Paul says... Um, he says, uh, verse 34, you know yourselves, uh, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In other words, Paul worked his tail off, okay? This guy was, he worked hard. He says, now this, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of what? Hard work. Is it sometimes hard to, to serve the Lord and be consistent and you just keep plowing forward, don't you? This kind of hard work, he says, we must. That's an imperative. You, this is command. It's not a suggestion. Well, maybe we should launch a committee over that. Hey, anybody glad that for so God so loved the world, he did not send a committee? And he took care of it with his son. Yeah, with committees. Okay, he says, and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to what than receive. More blessed to give. Hey, it's getting close to December. We all know that's the theme. Yeah, we'll get started on that one. Yeah, it's, it's not Christmas. It's consumer mass is what I call it. Okay, it's great for the economy. Okay, but anyway, I digress. Uh, he says there, it is more blessed. Now, the neat word that's going there, you go, what's that got to do with joy? Well, the, the Greek word that's there, I believe is makarios. 
okay, in the Greek. Uh, it's the same thing uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, uh, blessed are, you know, blessed, 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 the, the Beatitudes, we would call them like that. It's makarios, uh, and it literally means in the Greek, uh, means spiritually prosperous, okay? Some translations will actually uh, define that as uh, happy, you're happy, whatever, that's kind of, but it, it's more spiritually prosperous. Now, when you're spiritually prosperous in Jesus, I think you'll experience more joy, and I think that's what he's talking about, okay? And so that really when we say blessed, I want to be blessed by God. Uh, what, what's that mean? Does it mean just uh, give you another uh, suit or a 14 Cadillacs or, I mean, that's what we kind of think. No, blessed is makarios. It means, God, I want your spiritual prosperity. Spiritual prosperity, not material. I want your spiritual prosperity. And when we're stronger and stronger and stronger in our walk with Jesus Christ, guess what we experience? That joy, Okay. And that's what he's talking about. So Jesus tells us in this one sentence that the pathway to a truly blessed life, joyful life, spiritually prosperous life is to what? You need to get busy getting more stuff into your life. Now that's what the world says, isn't it? It's exactly opposite of what Jesus says. Jesus, the world says, hey, the more stuff you get, the happier you will be. Jesus said, the more that you give away your life, that's the truly blessed life. That's the one that's going to be spiritually prosperous. That's the one that's going to be experiencing the joy, okay? Now, it sounds foreign today because that's exactly what uh, our society has done. And they've banked on something. They're cashing in on our sin nature. And that is the old selfish sin nature, the me, myself, and I. It's all about what I want, me, myself, and I, right? And so they, they cash in that, our society, and they trick us into doing things that will appease ourselves. You want this, you go get that. You get that, you buy that, and, and somehow you're going to be happy. That doesn't work. Jesus says, listen, it's the exact opposite. If you really want to have more joy, give away more of your life. And I'm not talking just about material things, okay? I'm not even just talking about finances, okay? You, you serve Jesus with the four T's, your time your treasure, your tongue, and your talents. And I'll tell you one of the most precious things is time that we have in our crazy rat race society. Give your time to Jesus Christ. You want a more blessed life? You want more joy? Give your time to Jesus Christ. Get, make sure, number one, you don't leave the house without your time in the word and time in prayer. You want a blessed life? You want joy today? Give your time to Jesus Christ. Get busy serving him with your talents, okay? Whatever he's gifted you with, get busy doing it for him, Right? That's the truly blessed, you're giving away of your life. Okay, it's certainly uh, even with your treasure, okay? It's not wrong to own a house or how many guys appreciate having food and clothes? I do too because if you didn't have them, it'd be a serious distraction right now. And it would, okay, no, no, it's okay. Shelter over your head, whatever, okay. Time, a treasure, you know. But listen, put God first, okay, uh, with that as well. Uh, but also with your tongue. What are you doing with your mouth? Are you investing your mouth, the breath coming out of your mouth? Is it about Jesus? Are you encouraging other people in Jesus? Are you sharing the gospel about Jesus with people? What are you doing with your mouth? The more that you give away your time, your treasure, your talents, your tongue, Jesus said, whoa, you're going to have, you're going to be so blessed. And yet, what does our world say? No, it's all about you. Your time. Your, oh, oh, no, you give us your treasure and buy this thing, and that thing's going to make you happy. And there's false teachers in the church today that cop on that too. You give me your treasure and I'll bless you. you know, God will bless you a hundredfold. It's just a bunch of baloney. And Jesus says, no, you give away your life. You want to really find out what life's all about? You give it away, all right? Now, so here's the point. Uh, as we've seen, we'll see what we're doing is what is, uh, we used to call them this word, okay? The people that really be self-centered, selfish people. It's all about them and whatever. And if you keep that up, pretty soon they turn into a, remember this word? Snob. Don't hear that much anymore. But remember that? Snob. It's all about them. They're just a snob. It's all about them. It's all their way. They didn't get their way. You knew it. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. Our society is creating a bunch of snobs. A bunch of selfish, self-centered snobs. Okay. Like this lady. Check this out. There was a selfish, self-centered, snobbish lady. And she was visiting, uh, visiting a modern art museum one day. And uh, while she was there, she was gazing at this particular picture. And she turned to an attendant standing nearby and said, this, I suppose, is one of those hideous representations that you call modern art. And the attendant says, no, madam, uh, that one's called a mirror. All right? Can I tell you what the mirror is for this kind of attitude today? Because you're, you're only going to get it one place because our world has created this kind of a society. Here's your mirror. You look into this. 
and you realize how that we give so much, so less to Jesus Christ. It's all about me, myself, and I. We're being created to be a bunch of selfish, self-centered snobs. And then we wonder why everybody's walking around with hardly any joy, not really experiencing the blessings of Jesus Christ. We need to look in the mirror of God's word. And this is what James is saying, okay, in our text, okay? Uh, we need to, and Jesus says, you need to give away your life, okay? And again, it's not just, we, we as adults, oftentimes we'll say, well, that's, yeah, of course, the younger whippersnappers growing up, they're selfish, self-centered. I mean, if they don't have the latest uh, PS4 or whatever, or they're in the store, I'm going to have Captain Crunch. And, you know, of course, what do we do? We come with those stories, man, we didn't even have cereal in my day. We just ate a bowl of rocks, and we were grateful, you know, stuff like that, and all that kind of stuff right there. In fact, speaking of cereal, did you guys ever have to eat that five-pound bag of rice puffs? With no sugar, I'm am firmly convinced, baby, that that was that was the birthplace of styrofoam, right? And they apparently got melted next to a, a heater one time. They said, "Hey, we can make cups out of this," and that's how it all started. I don't know, but uh, anybody ever eat those miniature bales of hay? What were they called? Shredded wheat. The shredded bales is what it was, right? Maybe you got sugar, maybe you didn't. Of course, now they got all fancy because everybody's and they cut them up in nice little bite-sized squares and poured tons of sugar on them. But hey, back in the day. You know, okay, but that's what, hey, listen, we're just as selfish as adults. It's infected our society. I mean, I mean, listen, listen to this. I mean, uh, uh, listen to what's coming out of our mouth. I said, why ain't I getting this? How come I got to do this? Why do I have to drive that? Why can't I drive that? How can they get that? Why can't I have that? Why you jump? It's the same thing. Now, when a person, listen, when a person walks around, whatever the age, what do you usually want to do? In love, of course, you got to categorize that. Right? But what, how would you describe, if it was a younger person, uh, like a six-year-old, how would you describe them? They're acting like a, a brat, right? I wonder how many times we act like brats. And so what's God do? You know what he does? He's awesome. He loves us. He'll allow some trials to come your way. You know what I'm saying? And pretty soon, you know what you realize? You realize that life doesn't revolve around you right? And you know what? Maybe sometimes you're eating the shredded wheat with bite sizes with sugar on top. Maybe sometimes you're sucking on that bale of hay again. But you know what? God's providing for you. It's more than just about that. And that's what he does. He allows uh, uh, difficulties to come along. We find that life doesn't, uh, listen, revolve around us. And we find out real fast that it's an illusion to think, listen, that you're always going to get what you want out of life. And that's not reality. Did you know that God's ways are higher than our ways? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So guess what? Just that one verse there in Isaiah means, listen, God isn't always going to live up to your plans. Man makes his plans. God orders his steps, the Bible says. But if God takes you on a different plan, that's okay. Guess what? It just means he's got something better for you. Did you realize his way is the best way? All right, if you don't always get what you want, that is an illusion. So Jesus allows some difficulties to come to get rid of this selfish, self-centered, snobbish attitude. It's not all about you to get you on the back. Listen, whoa, what a mistake I have been making. I'll never get everything that I want. Wow, my eyes are open. Uh, to, guess what? There's more to life than just all about myself. If I really want that blessed life, if I really want to have more joy, then I got to switch around. I got to get my eyes off this world and the lies from this world that says it's all about me and invest all my time, treasure, talents, and tongues in me. No wonder nobody's joyful because it doesn't work. And I need to get back and serving Jesus with my time, my treasure, my talents, my tongues. Now. Why? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Let's translate that. It's more joyful to give away your life. Don't just think it's just finances, God. It's everything. Give away your life and the joy. Have you ever experienced the joy of leading somebody to Jesus Christ in salvation? Oh, you can't buy that, man. Have you ever experienced the joy when you're just sharing the gospel, period? Have you ever experienced the joy and just the, wow, of just having a great time in prayer with God? In serving God with whatever gifts he's given you, isn't there just such a feeling of joy and satisfaction? It's like, wow, I'm fulfilling my purpose. Well, you are. God has saved us for the good works in advance that he's prepared for us to do, Ephesians 2.10 says. So sometimes he's doing that. The next one, believe it or not, is to make us more loving. Huh? Isn't that exciting? He'll use trials to make us more 
loving. Open your Bibles to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Jesus says the same thing here. Let's take a look. Moo. Mm. Moo. Okay, that's good. We got one moo, moo. Give me another moo. Two moos. Give me two, give me three. Matthew 5. Three moos, right? Triple moo. Right on. Matthew 5, verse 43. And uh, love your what? Friends. Oh, I'm sorry, enemies. What? What? This is amazing. Okay. Love your enemies. Here's what Jesus says. He says, now you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. What? He says, but I tell you, you need to love your enemies and you what? You pray for those who persecute you. All right. Uh, why? That you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Uh, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? He said, aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are, you, what are you doing more than other people? And don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, Jesus, again, tells us, listen, the best way to get rid of your enemies is not by hating them, it's by what? Loving them, right? And how many guys would like to have more friends and less enemies? Right? Here it is, it's the answer. Hey, let's go home and let's put this into practice today. Well, that's the problem, is it? We don't want to love our enemies. In fact, if, uh, if we do get around to praying for our enemies, sometimes we're praying, God, get them, knock them on you. <laughs> That's just what's going on, okay? But what do we just read? Anybody can hate an enemy. Woohoo! Oh, you're a mighty strong Christian, man. You're so awesome. Look at you. You love people who love you. But listen, everybody who doesn't love you, you're just as mean and you do eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. What? Okay. We need to show this world that we are his true disciples. Now, why would Jesus lay out this mandate that we need to love our enemies? He did the same thing for us, didn't he? Open your Bibles to Romans chapter five. This is awesome. Okay, listen, we, we, gotta, we, gotta, we gotta remember this. Okay, who, who did Jesus die for? Was his best buddies, right? Let's take a look, Romans chapter five. All right. And... Um, Verse uh, 6, Paul says this, you see, at just the right time, we were still what? Powerless, man, nothing we could do. We're in a heap of trouble. We're headed straight to hell. It's, in, it's over. It's done. We were completely powerless to change our spiritual condition. He said that when we were still powerless, Christ died for his best friends. What's the first label he puts on us? Ungodly. Okay, or enemies. He says, listen, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were still what? Sinners. Christ died for us. Now, since we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this, but we also what? Rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive reconciliation. So what are the three main things there that uh, uh, God describes us prior to getting saved to Jesus? He says we were ungodly, we were sinners, and we were his enemies. Anybody glad that Jesus loved his enemies? All right. So what is he asking us to do once again? That he hasn't already extremely demonstrated, right? And he said, if you have love for one another, then the world's going to know that you're my disciples. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Well, they got to be true Christians because look at them. I mean, they love each other, even the stinker, okay? Turn to somebody and say, hey, you're a stinker, but I still love you, right? Now, Robert and Alan, you could uh, you know, either turn around to each other or practice with the pew, but don't get too serious with it. That'll freak me out, okay, if you guys want to follow along in that little methodology there okay but but here's the problem we we refuse to do that we refuse to demonstrate god's love by our actions and it's a serious stumbling block so you know what god does he keeps the stinkers coming he does day after day i mean how, how many how many times how many stinkers has he got to send your way before you get it okay I, I i truly believe sometimes it's like that uh it's like that movie groundhog day you ever guys ever seen that thing where Bill Murray back in the day, he had to relive the same day over and over and over and over and over again until what? 
And it took quite a while, didn't it? He finally got the day. He tried skirting up this way. He tried, no, maybe I can do a shortcut here, cheating over here. And he finally humbled himself, apparently. And he, you should have done that the first time. You need to be a loving person, right? I really think that that's what God does. He says, God, why do these, I have to work with these people. Why are my neighbors like this? Why is this with my family? Or why my friends? Or why is this going on? Hey, maybe he's trying to teach you to love like he loved. Are you going to get it yet? Anybody love taking laps in their walk with Jesus? Like the Israelites in the desert? <laughs> Spitting sand, dry. You know, sometimes maybe the reason why it's dry in your walk with Jesus Christ is because maybe you're on a lap. I've been on laps before, okay? And what happens, like the Israelites, God says, okay, take you what? You're out of, you're coming out of uh, uh, Egypt. I'm, I'm delivering you out of Egypt, out of sin, okay? And uh, tell you what, all you got to do is you got to go over here, okay? I'm going to provide for you through the desert. Okay, and you're going to get over down here to the promised land. Okay, all you got to do is believe me. I'll take care of them. Okay, so they, they, they at least made it that far. And then they went in and God says, don't worry about it. Just get in there. I'll provide for you. I'll whoop your enemies. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing and what they do. Sent 12 spies. 10 of them came back. We're going to beat us up. Big guys, giants, we're grasshoppers. We're short like Pastor Billy compared to those guys. And they're going to get us. And only two guys, Joshua and Caleb, who did get to go in eventually, Came back and says, are you guys crazy? Are you nuts? The Chrome translation there. Listen, just God, God, who's God? He just brought us out of Egypt. Come on. I'll take care of these guys. What do you get? And, the, and so what happened? They said, okay, take a lap. Take a lap in the desert. God said, all right, now you're ready to go. <laughs> take a lap. Take a lap. All right, bring them up to the verge. Are, are you ready now? <laughs> take a lap. All right. Hey, did you realize that you're never going to learn grade two lessons until you get out of the first grade? You got to make it through first grade. Sometimes, how many times are we stuck in first grade? You know, wondering why. Man, I've been in first grade for how long? Well, maybe it's because there's a lesson right in front of you that you refuse to learn, and you ain't going nowhere until you learn that thing. You ever thought about that? And maybe sometimes that lesson is you need to love. You need to love those stinkers. I mean, isn't that at the heart of the gospel? Isn't that what we're here today? Aren't, isn't that, aren't we enjoying praise God, Jesus, love, me, the stinker? Right? Right? That's at the heart. And so I'd say that probably is a pretty good heart thing that he wants from us as his followers. That we love on that level. Hey, who, who, who what they do? So you love the people you get along with? Wow. Even the IRS folks can do that. Right? Hey, even the folks down on the strip doing those ungodly things. Hey, listen, even they hang out with each other and support each other. What good is that? You need to love the stinkers. And you know what? I want it so much that I love you so much that if you don't get it now, it might be another week, might be another year, I'm going to let you take a lap. And many times, I don't know if you've learned this, but I pray to God, oh God, please let me get the lesson the first time. Because I don't want to take a lap in the desert. It gets awfully dry sometimes when you walk with Jesus. And we're out there going, oh God, what happened? Where's all the fire and the joy? Are you ready yet? You ready to learn the lesson? It's like Groundhog Day. Okay, if, if listen, our society is going to get out of the pit of despair they're in. It's not going to be just talking about Jesus' love. Listen, sometimes God will use you when you demonstrate. What's the, we've been talking about the second fruit of the Holy Spirit. What's the first one? Love. And sometimes it's that radical love. When somebody really doesn't deserve it. Did we deserve it? So we're just doing what Jesus did. That really blows them away. Maybe that's the breaking point that they need to see from us before they respond to Christ. It's like one, one, one analogy says this. A man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. All right, so he fell in a pit. So a subjective person came along and says, I feel for you down there. Uh, an objective person walked by and says, it's logical that somebody would fall down there. A Pharisee came by and says, only bad people fall into pits. A mathematician calculated the precise angle in which he fell into the pit. A news reporter wanted an exclusive story on the pit. The IRS agent came by and asked if he was paying taxes on the pit. Uh, a self-pitying person said, you ain't seen nothing until you see my pit. A psychologist came by and says, your mother and father are to blame for you being in the pit. A self-esteem therapist came by and says, hey, believe in yourself and you can get out of the pit. Uh, an optimist came by and said, things could get worse. A pessimist came by and says, things will get worse. And Jesus, seeing the man, took him by the hand and loved him by pulling him out of the pit. 
How many stinkers has God placed around us, family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, acquaintances, the people you keep meeting at the grocery store that get on your nerves, that has God strategically, purposely placed around us, say, are you ready yet? Will you pull them out of the pit? Will you love them like I love you, even though they're a stinker, and pull them out? One of my favorite stories demonstrating that uh, was a, a Christian who was in a coal mine in West Virginia. Listen to this. He was, uh, one of the coal miners was down in the mine. He was constantly praying and witnessing to the other men down there. Why? Because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian, right? Well, one of the men got so, true story, by the way. One of the men got so tired of him and said, one of these days, if you don't keep quiet about your Jesus, I'm going to punch you out and you'll know that you've been hit. So the Christian said, if you want to get it over with right now, uh, why don't you just do it? The guy got so angry, he punched the Christian out, messed up his face real bad. The guy was almost unconscious. When he got up, the Christian, he could hardly stand or hardly even speak, but he managed to mumble to the guy. He says, listen, I'm still going to love you and I'm still going to pray for you. Listen to this, because of that act of love. That wicked miner went home with that thought that day, that night, and he couldn't sleep. And so the next morning, deep in the mine underground, the two of them knelt together and he became a Christian. And from then on, the two of them began to win the rest of the miners to Jesus Christ. That's what God's doing. Hey, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, sometimes God will use our trials to get us to remind us that, listen, if we're grateful that he loved us, the stinker, he wants to use us to love the stinkers around us. That's how it works, okay? And when you realize that, wow, I, you know, have you ever prayed that before? Oh God, make me more like Jesus. Make me, I want to love people like Jesus loves me. You know? <laughs> well, that's the supreme example okay, loving other people. And when you realize that, okay, you're like, hey, well, hey, well, this ain't bad. This isn't a monotonous series of laps, unending, whatever. Uh, he, he's doing something great with this. And we think about that. We look forward to that and go, hey, awesome. I can be joyful in that. Let me give you one more for today. Uh, another one, man, this one I think is pretty easy. Sometimes, you know what God's going to do in your pain? He's going to produce that exciting evangelistic uh, word. Uh, uh, he wants to produce a testimony. Uh, okay. God wants to produce a testimony, okay? Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Let's take a look there. You find the first book of the Bible, what do you do? Stay in it, go to chapter 50. This is awesome. 50, and we will start with verse 15 though. And, uh, Let's take a look. And this is the account of Joseph. Now, we all know that Joseph had a great life. It was perfect, easy sailing. Always got along with his family, had a great life. The people he hung around with were so honest and great to him. And Yeah, I digress. Uh, verse 15. Now, when Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead, this is after he'd finally gone through all that he went through, chucked in the pit. He was lied about, accused of rape. He was innocent, got stuck in jail, got left in jail to rot, and finally gets out. Now he's up in this high position. Here comes his bros who started the whole thing by lying to the dad, saying he was dead, throwing him in the pit, and then selling him into slavery. How many guys would say that's some serious family issues? Okay, yeah. Now, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if uh, Joseph uh, holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, uh, uh, your father uh, left these instructions before he died. Uh, uh, this is what you're to say to Joseph. Uh, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph what? Wept. Oh, come on, guys. Just one moment of honesty. Dad didn't say that. You're just trying to cover yourselves. Okay. He said, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You, listen, you intended to harm me. But God overruled it, allowed it, because he, what? Intended it for good. What was the good? To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'm going to provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Wow. That's absolutely amazing. Okay, now, obviously, he's gone through all the suffering, this pain, okay? And really, what encourages me in this text, did you realize, and this is the amazing statement that he makes there, okay? You intended to harm me, but God intended for good. And so what he, Joseph realizes, did you realize that God is so powerful, he doesn't condone other people's sin. 
He doesn't condone people's wrongdoings, but he is so powerful that he can use other people's wickedness and pain that they've caused us for our good and for the good of other people. Is what he's saying. He can do that. He can use the pain that other people cause us to turn around for our highest good. I don't know about you guys, but how many of you guys, this was a real guy. This isn't make-believe. This is really Joseph. This is really his family dynamic. This is really what his brothers did to him. This is really what he went through as he tried to trudge through society, making the best of life, right? Even after early on having a calling from God, which everybody mocked and used, whatever, and he had his lessons to learn that too, okay? But this really happened. We're gonna see this guy in heaven, right? Now, here's my point. How many of you guys have ever been encouraged by the outcome of Joseph's statement here? That God, oh, hey, God, you, yeah, you meant it for evil, but God's, God's allowing this for good, right? Right? Now, that's what's called a testimony. I've been blessed by Joseph's testimony, and this really happened, okay? But here's the deal. We all love a great, powerful testimony, don't we? Right? Here's the problem. We just don't want to become one. But did you know what? Um, uh, you got to take your turn. Have you noticed that as a Christian? Do you think there are always these powerful, awesome testimonies are only going to come from the one guy in the church? No, they're going to come from all of us. And where do those testimonies come from? Where did this amazing testimony of Joseph come from? What did he go through? Trials, right? He went through trials. And what he learned through that, then he voiced that testimony and it's blessed other people. So here's the issue. God will allow, listen, trials to us today so that after we're through the trial, just like Joseph made it through the trial, then God will get us to voice what God has done and it will be a testimony to him. It will bless other people today. So maybe the trial you're going through right now, God is using that to produce. He'll not only bring you through it, but you'll see what God is doing, the good through it, and then you'll give an opportunity to testify, okay? Brandy and I, man, we've been through so much stuff, and, and uh, we've taken our turn. Sometimes say, okay, can somebody else have a turn now? <laughs> How many times do we have to have a turn on this? And uh, we call ourselves the testimony-holics. And I want to share with you just a couple. Just to, I want to testify. I want to share you. Uh, uh, listen, it's just, and, and what I'm sharing with you really did happen, okay? And uh, uh, hopefully it will encourage you, okay? Uh, let me just give you a couple examples. Now, I, I've shared a couple of these at the Wednesday night. The, uh, one of them is if you're concerned about your provision. All right, I, I, I recall this even myself all the time, provision. When I first got saved, got, first got saved, everything was great, never had a problem. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Okay, no, okay. And the first thing right out of the gate, you're thinking, man, he's a born again Christian, he's going to Bible college, and surely, you know, everything's gonna go at least pretty good. No, I had some serious financial problems. Okay, after, listen, after I got saved, after I paid all the bills, I had $80 a month to live on. That's it. And that $80 a month was to pay for, during that month, gas, clothing, entertainment, which wasn't happening, emergencies, and food. Okay, 80 bucks. That's it. This wasn't that long ago. 80 bucks. So consequently, it all really went towards the gas. Okay? And so guess what I didn't have money for? Food. I'm not kidding you. All right? And so I wasn't walking around like a Pharisee, like, oh, put ash in my face. Oh, I'm so starving. Oh, please feed me. What? I didn't say nothing to anybody. But for the first good three months at least that I was saved and I had nothing, I had more food coming out of my ears. I had people out of the blue asking me out. I, I negative wasn't going, oh, I haven't eaten in nine years. You know? And I'm just, people, hey, you want to go out to eat? <laughs> yeah. You know, right? I had people bringing me food. I had all kinds of stuff. Uh, it just so happened at the place where I worked at, all of a sudden, the boss and the other employees there decided to go on this health kick thing. Well, part of the, where I worked at is these truckers who were always vying for uh, uh, their business would always come and bring. It's like every week, man, these big, massive, giant pizzas, several of them. Well, they're on a health food kick. Guess who gets to eat them all? I had pizza coming out of my ear. Awesome pizza, great pizza, gourmet pizza. I had stuff. I didn't say a word. I mean, I almost started to feel like uh, Elijah and the ravens are feeding them. It's like, woo, I didn't have to say a word. And every day it started to get a little bit more exciting because I'm going, where's it coming next? I never went to the store, not once. And God provided until financially things began to swing around. And that was it. That really happened to me. Now, I don't know about you, but I went through that. Okay, that was real. Anybody just got blessed by what I just said? right? God used my pain, my trial to be a testimony, not just to me, but to you. Let me give you another one. That's with the uh, provision. Uh, how about a sudden calamity? Okay, back in the Bible college, you know, you're thinking, hey, in Bible college, you know, things are going to go great. You're never going to, uh-uh. One night we were in the class there. Uh, I went to school at night, 
And uh, Brandy and I were in the class there with the other students. And uh, it was California. They had the windows open there on the second floor in the classroom we were at. And all of a sudden, we heard uh, out in the parking lot. And the Bible college there. Going, Whoa, man, somebody's really getting on it. You know, we just, you know, still uh, finishing Bible class. Well, we get out there. The reason why we heard that was because somebody ripped my car off. That was my car going. Somebody was stealing in the middle of Bible college. Come on, man. You're serving God. And you go out there and it's like, what? Okay, long story short, uh, I was surrounded by those co-workers who did not have the gift of encouragement. Uh, <laughs> and they were saying, oh, it's gone, it, it's trash, it's either down to Mexico, it's stripped, it's burned, you're going to find a ditch, whatever. And I didn't hear nothing. I didn't hear nothing for 20 days. And for 20, I thought, man, it's just whatever. So I made a call, and all of a sudden, the uh, police said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, we, we uh, found it even before then, and uh, I, they weren't able to get a hold of me. And so when I called, they, we connected up, whatever. And uh, so they said, yeah, here's what happened. Now, prior to this getting, um, it's kind of cool, prior to getting the car ripped off, there was one thing about this car that always bugged me, is when I tried to roll down the window, because this, you know, older car, okay, it would always get stuck, and it would go cockeyed, and you couldn't get it back up. So this is in California in the heat, we know here in Vegas, right? I, I, I you know, if you try to roll that window down, it ain't going back up. And so it, consequently, in the summers, I'm sweating bullets in that car because I can't roll the window down because if I roll the window down, it gets stuck and I have to disassemble the whole side assembly to get it to go back up and like, forget it, right? Well, guess what? Those people did when they stole that car. No, they rolled the window down. And so guess what it wasn't going to do? Can't go back up. So apparently they got disgruntled with it, ditched the car outside of an apartment complex and left it there. And because it was in an apartment complex, people left it alone because they thought it was somebody in the apartment, I believe. Okay, and so basically when all was said and done, there wasn't a scratch on the car. When all was said and done, I ended up with a better stereo. They did take that, but the insurance paid for that. And uh, they took some personal items which were still in the car uh, when it got back. And so after that, then I told the insurance company, hey, listen, the items you reimbursed us for are still in the car. They said, uh, don't worry about it, keep the check. So when all was said and done, I still got the car back, uh, got a better stereo out of it, and I gained 200 bucks. That really happened to me. Now, is anybody blessed by just sharing that little calamity story of, of testimony of what? Okay, the same thing. Let me, let me get one time, Brandy and I, uh, overnight, just like that, we were out of a, a financial pitfall of $4,000, all right? Now, 4,000 bucks at that time and still even this time, you might as well say 4 million bucks. Okay, how in the world are we gonna come up with $4,000? We're in a heap of trouble. Okay, I kid you not, I just prayed about it and uh, it wasn't something that we did on purpose. We were being negligent, uh, uh, you know, and foolish or whatever. It's just one of those things that happens, right? unexpected and long story short i kid you not within one week god moved on a person's heart okay and they not only gave us the four thousand they gave us five thousand a thousand extra uh and they said we don't want to be paid back and they weren't even a christian that's pretty cool right all right let me give, give you one more uh when i was uh we've been we drove for years and years on this 1996 ford taurus right one of the most reliable cars we ever had, man. That thing was awesome. I was just about ready to get 200000 on it. And uh, we uh, were in New York at the time. Uh, I was pastoring there. And uh, all of a sudden, I was like a 197, right? And all of a sudden, you got that noise in the transmission. It's like, okay, this is beyond repair. And it had been paid off for years. And so basically, it was done. I knew it was done. And uh, I, I didn't, I felt like, you know, it's, it's time to either get another vehicle and not dump even more money in a car that's 200000 That would be foolish. And uh, so basically, I just prayed. And I prayed for two days and says, God, he says, I really don't want to choke down a car payment, but you know, we need to have two vehicles with, uh, with Brandy and the kids being home and stuff and me on the road all the time. And uh, would you please provide, right? Two days later, I didn't tell a soul. Two days later, I'm in the uh, praying and I get an email from this guy. And he says, hey, do you know anybody that needs a, a car? I said, yeah. And so anyway, that was, gosh, I don't know how many years ago that was. But anyway, so he says, yeah, well, here's the car. He says, uh, we went to go buy a new one, but uh, God specifically prompted on our heart, don't trade this in, give it away. I said, whoa, okay, that's cool. And so it was a 2004 uh, Mazda Tribute mini SUV, four-wheel drive, leather, totally loaded, and the guy gave it to us for free. Free. Now, here's what's really cool. Now, talk about God's uh, timing. Uh, he actually, before he had emailed me that two days later after the car went uh, belly up, uh, he actually shared with me later that God told him to give that car away, uh, the, the, the tribute, uh, two weeks earlier. But he, he, he was resistant. Uh, really, 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 really? And finally he couldn't take it anymore and that was the day that he 
uh, emailed me. You see what I'm saying? Because if he would have told me before that time, our car would still be running, thinking we're perfectly fine, and probably would have went in a different direction. But listen, do you realize that God even timed his hesitation to respond to, to email me at the right time when our car went out? Did you get that? That really happened to us. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody is going through that kind of an issue, that's a great testimony, right? That's a great testimony, and that's what God does. Even though we may not see it, even though we might be in the midst of it right now, listen, oftentimes what God is doing with our trial is he's using it to produce a powerful testimony, a story like that, that will not only bless you and when, not if, when you hit another trial down the road that you can recall and go, oh, remember that time? Remember that time when we had that, remember the time when the car got ripped off? Remember the time when the car went down? Remember that time when we were financially belly up? Remember that time when I was starving to death? I thought, but God, I, I didn't have to go to the store one time and he, I had more food I could even shake a stick at. Remember that time? And so you go, whoa, so that means God's gonna do the same thing now. And he will. But then God doesn't want you to keep that. He wants you to share it like Joseph to be a testimony. Thinking about that, thinking forward to that. Now, in the midst of your trial, Considering that, with absolute knowledge, I, with, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I bet you that's what God's doing here. That gives you joy. How, how can we do that, Pastor? How in the world, when we're going through our trials, can we not just rejoice once in a while, but constantly rejoicing? We constantly remember this, that God is doing something absolutely awesome in the midst of this trial, and I can't wait to see it. And sometimes I can't wait to share it with somebody else to bless their socks off too. And that'll make you smile. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this. We don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness, okay? That's called lying, okay? And if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar, okay? The, the, another commandment says you shall not steal, okay? Uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, 
It's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.